Till I'm tiptoed you Dot com The podcast about pop culture Black history and spirituality Yeah It's about to be a great vibe Dr. Tip Gonna take it away Till I'm tiptoed you Hey y'all, hey, it's your girl Tip. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You. I am so happy you joined me today. Today's going to be a kind of short one. Um, I, well, let me just jump right in because there's no need of me even trying to explain why it's going to be a short one. Except to say, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm working on me a little bit. Let's just jump right in. I'm going to talk about my locks. If you follow me on social media, then you know... The locks are no more. So we'll talk about why I chose to cut my hair and what it's stirring up in me, which is also the reason why today might be kind of short. We're going to talk about Breonna Taylor in reference to that. Um, you know, my mind jumps, so the transition might not be that smooth. So what? <laughs> and then we're going to talk about how we should be using this moment. So let me just tell you, this week um, or this past week, I was on the on a Zoom call with some of my friends. Now, let me say this. My locks, for those of you who don't know, if you've never seen a shot of all of my hair, <laughs> um, were past butt, all right? So they were very long. And because they were extremely long, um, my edges in the front started to break. Now, I had a couple of options. I had some lock repairs done a couple of weeks, a month ago. Um, but I am kind of vain. <laughs> about my hair and I never wanted weak edges like I'm a pogue and pogues have thick hair and so for me to have weak edges I was like I can't do this I just can't do this and plus I'm also in a season of change and transformation and uh, your hair holds energy and so I, I just I had to let them go I had to let them go um, I had been thinking about it ever since I had those lock repairs done um, but I was in an either or what if not that type, just should I do it? And so the other night I was on the phone with some, well, a zoom call with some of my friends and it was dark. So I knew they couldn't see my hair. I couldn't see my hair and I just let it go. So if you follow me on social media, you saw the big pile of hair. Imagine, because like I said, I have very thick hair and they were past butt length. So they are, they are washed detoxing in a bag now. In case I change my mind and want to have them reattached later. But your girl is rocking a TWA, a teeny weeny afro right now. And um, so I did not expect all of the emotions that went along with the transformation. I have not expected. I, I, you know, I expected somewhat to feel a little sad. I did not expect to feel all that I felt. So initially, the night after I did it, it was instant. What the hell did I do? <laughs> Right. It was instantaneous. I wish I could just undo. Let me rewind. Right. So it was that feeling at first. And then by the time a couple of hours had passed, it was um, sadness. Right. It was like losing a friend. My locks, when I sat down, they would sit in my lap. Right. So it was like losing a friend. Um, and that's how I felt the first night. Now, the next morning. And I finally looked at myself in the mirror. I saw myself. Now, I know that's strange, but just just bear with me just a second. So I, I felt like I saw myself. 
And then I posted a, a picture of the new cut, the new look on Facebook. And thanks to you all that commented and left me likes. That picture right now is like at 350 likes. I am so, you, you don't know what you did for me. You don't know what you did for me because here are the other emotions that have come up from it. I'm, I'm, I'm in the South and a lot of people in the South. I don't know if this is true for other regions of the United States. Y'all know I'm a Southern girl. I've lived primarily in the South my whole life. So that's, that's the lens I'm speaking through right now. But in the South, um, a lot of people equate length of hair to femininity and beauty. And so for me to make such a drastic change, there was this whole, um, and then I'm fat on top of that. So it was this whole, am I still beautiful? Um, will people still see me as beautiful? You know, when I'm out and about because my locks were what they were, a lot of the compliments I received from other people regularly were about my hair. So now there's this question of now that the hair is not there, are people still going to find me attractive? Are they still going to find me unique? Are they still going to find me interesting? You know, so all of that emotion around, am I still who I'm supposed to be, um, is there. And I said um, on my social media the other day, so if you're interested, I'm going to be blogging about this experience a lot because I want to work through my emotions around it. And I've told you before that I'm a writer. I write to think. And so, you know, if you've ever thought about cutting your locks or if you have cut your locks and you want to know you weren't crazy because you had all these emotions, um, just, you know, make sure you're following the blog at www.tellemtiptoldyou.com. Um, but I'm going to be doing a lot of that there. So a lot of pictures and things like that. So if you're nosy and you didn't see the big reveal on Facebook, make sure you're following my blog because I'll be posting those pictures this week. So I did not expect um, to feel everything that I am feeling. And let me tell you what pushed me over the top with the emotions. A couple of people in different spaces said to me, oh, that's how I met you. And I was like, dang, yeah, we've been friends for a long time. So, yeah, when you met me, I had short natural hair. Um, and then I, I thought to myself. Maybe this emotion is around the fact that I haven't met myself. Bear with me. I told you earlier, I'm in the, I'm in the, the process of transforming my life. Here's what I've learned. If you, here's, what, here's what I'm doing rather than what I've learned because I'm in the middle of learning it. Here's what I'm doing. I have taken the vision that I have for my life and I'm choosing to live it now. So in the vision I have for my life, I am an older, very polished, but still slightly ratchet auntie type, right? Why do I have to wait until I'm a little bit older to do that? I can be that person now. Or in my vision, I have a house full of plants and I have a garden outside. Why would I wait to do that when I go to Lowe's or order online or get my A outside in this raised bed and grow some things. Like, I don't have to wait. And I think one of the issues um, with my life as it was and the transformation that I'm undergoing right now and that I'm taking clients through while I'm undergoing it is that we, we set these visions and in in these goals for ourselves, but we forget that it's daily duty 
daily discipline that takes us to that thing. Um, And so I have changed a lot in the last few years as I'm transforming myself. Um, This is a long-term process. I don't think one has ever finally reached, you know, your highest evolution. I think you do that up until the day you take your last breath. But um, as I'm making this concerted effort to be a better me, I realized that between the period of me starting my locks and today, I am a completely different person. Now, at my core, um, my cultural roots are the same. My internal beliefs about things have been adjusted, but they're essentially the same. But who I am in terms of the decisions I make is fundamentally different. And I don't know that I've allowed myself to see myself. And so the hair is symbolic of that, that I'm seeing myself in a new way. And and look, can I tell y'all something? I'm digging her. I'm digging the new tip. The new tip says no much easier. The new tip tip sets better boundaries around her space and time. Now, I'm still learning that. Um, The new tip loves herself a lot more. And because she loves herself a lot more, she tolerates a lot less. It's it's just a lot. And I'm getting to know myself. And so that blogging process is going to link all that together. India Irie was alive when she said, I am not my hair. I don't know if she's ever had waist-length locks and gone to a TWA. She would understand what I'm saying. You are. Some of the decisions we make aesthetically are linked to how we feel emotionally. I'm going to say that again because I think it's important. Some of the decisions we make aesthetically are linked to how we feel emotionally. I Even when my edges started thinning, um... I held on to my locks because I wanted the external validation of people saying, I like your hair. Right. I thought it was my hair that made me unique. In some ways it did. Right. I thought it was my hair. But now I'm forced to think about the other ways that I contribute something different to this world. And so I want to take you on that journey with me. Um, I want to just interrogate the Southern aesthetic of beauty that I have obviously very much internalized. I want to talk. I swear I never have this many phone calls (laughs) when I'm recording ever. So whatever it is in this particular episode, you pay attention to because something don't want it out. But um, I want to interrogate that because some people have said to me, you know, you cut your hair, but you got the texture that can do that. What? And then I also know that in terms of me losing quote unquote femininity, I know that my skin color in some people's eyes saves me from looking too masculine. All of that stuff I'm going to be teasing out and interrogating on the blog. Um, And so if that interests you, make sure you're on the, you know, you subscribe and you get the emails when they come out. All right. So I wanted to talk about Breonna Taylor. She was the sister, the EMT, who the police stormed her house and shot over 20 bullets. She was hit, I think they said, about eight times and killed. Um, Her boyfriend, who was at the house at the time of the. I don't even know what the way they're trying to frame it is that they just happened to go into the wrong house. But there is something to the story that's a little strange. They already had a suspect in custody. So why are you storming into a house ready to shoot the way they were? So her boyfriend is in custody because he shot back at plainclothes officers he believed were invading his home. Right. 
So Brianna lost her life. And what is, uh, I'm, I'm trying not to be, I, I think one of the dangers of these constant lynchings is that we become numb to the pain. Um, I'm purposely not allowing myself to become numb. I'm thinking about her as a human, as what if she were my friend or my sister or me, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but there's also something there that as I'm going through this with my physicality of wondering if I still have worth and value now that the locks are gone, whatever, there's also this underlying comparison between how her death has been treated versus how Ahmad Arbery's death has been treated. So we were running for Ahmad, running with Maud. Um, you know, people were starting GoFundMes and really putting pressure on prosecutor, prosecutors, um, all kinds of stuff. It got a lot of social media play, a lot of media play. We don't hear as much about this sister. And there's part of me that wonders if it's because black woman life is not seen as mattering as much as black male life. Like, what is that about this disparity in how our community has responded to her death? I, I, I just I, there's a lot there and I've not completely I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. That's why I told you today was going to be short because I don't know that I have the words to articulate how I'm feeling about it. But um yeah, there's a lot there, and it's something about black female worth that hits me when I look at that. And because I'm also dealing with my own personal worth without the hair, it's all running together on me. So I probably unpack that for you again on next week's episode, as because I want to give myself time to tease through some of these emotions I'm having. But I do want us to start thinking about gun ownership. So. You know, a lot of people right now, because of all these cases, are pushing gun ownership. I am one of those people. I think we should be armed. I think we should be armed legally. I think we need to be trained. Yes. But I also want us to understand that guns ultimately do not protect us as much as systems protect people. So the white men in the Ahmad Arbery case, their guns protected them Quote, and I, those are air quotes, protected them from this man, right? This aggressor, again, air quotes, right? Um, and because they have a right to defend themselves, there were no arrests. And all that is in air quotes. You know, I'm being facetious and sarcastic right now. Please know that. Um, they had a right to defend themselves from something they feared or someone they feared. The Georgia law sought to protect them. The systems in place, the DA's office sought to protect them. So more than the guns, they were also protected by a system. And the system can protect them much more than guns can. Right now, let's look at the Brianna case again. Her boyfriend grabbed his pistol when they heard someone trying to come in their their door and he sought to defend his girl his place of abode himself with his legally owned firearm. All right. So there's the gun ownership piece. But because he does not have the same kinds of systems of protection, he was taken into custody immediately, even though it was the police's error that caused all that to jump off. For some reason, the system does not 
respect his right to stand his ground. You see what I'm saying? That gun ownership, yes, we should be advocating for gun ownership and responsible firearm knowledge and usage. Yes, but we also need to be equally, if not as more engaged in ensuring that we develop systems that can protect us, engaging in local politics so that you run the school board, so that you have a friend or an ally in the DA's office. So some of these judges on elected benches are elected by people who care about your well-being. Right. We got to be engaged on that level, too. It does not make sense to advocate for firearm ownership if you don't also um, work towards developing systems to protect our rights. To protect our person. All right. And so I've been talking about this in the last couple of episodes. I finally shot the first video. I'm calling it the Family Civics Time video series. And so the first video is coming out on my email list tomorrow, Tuesday. Um, so if you're on the Tell Em Tip Told You email list or the Sankofa email list or the Pogue Educational Consulting email list, you're going to get that video. Um, I put it out on all my email lists. So if you're interested in getting that video, it's called The Four Branches of Government. I know that's different than how we've learned it in school, but I think it's important to start there with understanding I'm not going to tell you what the video says, but it, I think it's important to start with that video, the Family Civics Time video series. Also, if you are interested in working with me on the video ser- series and developing your own videos or working with me to develop videos and then we push it out together, make sure you send me an email at admin, that's admin at pogueeducationalconsulting.com. All right. So make sure I'll put the the link in the show notes. Make sure you send me your video idea. Maybe you just have an idea. You don't want to really record anything yourself, but you have an idea for me to cover or there's an organization in your local area that you want me to interview or do something like that. But I think it's important that we have these family time, civic time um, videos to promote discussion because our children are the ones that are going to change this. Our children, and we want them to grow up with a certain kind of knowledge of power and agency and systems. All right, so I wanted to put that out there. Now, I also want to talk about um, HBCUs. So, um, I was on Twitter the other day, and someone tweeted that Trump had met with a number of university presidents. Um, and the conversations revolved around protections being put in place for schools that choose to open, um, that would protect them from lawsuits later. So let's say I open up my university campus and some students catch coronavirus and they die from it and their families sue us. Um, what protections are in place to ensure we're not liable for their deaths? So this conversation was about, can we have these protections? And if we can have those protections, we'll go ahead and open up for you, is how it was reported on this Twitter thread. Now, what was interesting to me is the list of the presidents who were on the call. There was only one HBCU represented, and that was Hampton University. Now, here's the issue. 
I understand, Hampton is private, so I understand that there are a lot of financial consequences to universities being closed right now. Here in the state of Georgia, I just got notice of my furlough days, right, and and potential cuts. I don't even know if, contracts don't come out to June, so I don't even know if I'm going to have a job next year um, because of how universities are tightening their their belts um, in preparation of these increased budget cuts related to having closed campuses. So I understand that there is motivation by some university systems in some states to open back up and try to get to quote unquote business as usual um, because of the money aspect. Now, those of us who are educators at core and at heart, we don't want to open because we understand that school's primary responsibility is to keep students safe. Right. Mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. That's my job as an educator to keep my students safe. And so um, I feel some kind of way about these presidents meeting to open back up. But I do understand that a lot of it is a financial decision. As much of this about reopening the country is it's about money. It's not about human life. And that's unfortunate. It says something about where we have come as a society or where we've always been. If you've been paying attention. Anywho, I'm not going off on that tangent. But here's what I wanted to say about HBCUs. HBCUs in particular are increasingly at risk. It's that old adage, you know, when when white folk catch a cold, black folk have the flu. It's that old adage that if universities across the board are losing money, then we know HBCUs exponentially are affected because our endowments, our alumni giving is not as high. Right. So we depend on state funds. We depend on state budgets to run and operate. And because of that, university presidents are in a strange position right now because they have in many in some cases, it is as crucial as I have to make a decision between keeping my students safe and remaining open or remaining a viable institution. Because remember, some of our accreditation is based upon um, our ability to financially be well. A threat to your finances is a threat to your accreditation, which means you would eventually close. Ain't nobody coming to a non-accredited school. Anyway, that's a whole other story. So there is a lot going on, but I was given hope by the president of Paul Quinn. I wish I could remember his name in this moment, but you can Google him. The president of Paul Quinn out in Texas. He's, you know, HBCU president. So what he said was HBCUs have to remember who they are in this moment. And it touched me to my core. Um, Now, even if you don't care about HBCUs, stay with me because I can make this personal for you. He said we have to remember how HBCUs were founded. They were founded in the middle of financial um, difficulties, racial oppression, marginalization, scarce resources. Like that's what our roots are in. We are in that kind of rocky soil. What does that mean? That means if we're still operating We were able to withstand that rocky soil from the beginning. That's what we're built for. We are built for um, surviving hostile conditions. That's the root of these institutions. Now, he said, yes, while we are being threatened, what it's going to take is to remember how we were able to do it then. Oh, that touched my heart. So listen, One of my pet peeves is when HBCUs try to emulate programs and activities from PWIs. 
We have, and I, when I'm in a meeting, I say this all the time, we have an entirely different context, financial, student, faculty, time and money. We have an entirely different context for operating. Ideologically, politically, we have an entire different context for operating. It doesn't make sense to try to plug and play programs and services from PWIs into our context. Now, we can certainly evaluate what they're doing and figure out how we can make it work in our context. But just copy paste, that shit don't work. I think in this moment, what HBCU administrators need to be doing is interrogating our past and figuring out, okay, so how did they do it back then with no money? How did they, here's a hint, the community supported the universities, supported the colleges. Okay, so there is a, I think if HBCUs are going to endure this period, one, they have to turn back into their innovative selves. Stop trying to replicate how University of Arizona is dealing with these budget cuts. Stop trying to do what UGA is doing with their budget cuts and figure out how to make it work on your campus. It doesn't have to look like how it looks on other people's campuses. Right. So be innovative. Return to your roots, which was to create what we needed based on our own context. And do something different that'll work. Right? So there's a returning to center that has to happen if these HBCUs are going to endure this period. That's what the President Paul Quinn was getting to, was that we, it's already been demonstrated by history. We can do this. We did it with very little money before. We can do it. But we got to have faith in our ability to create for ourselves. Now, I told you, even if you don't care about HBCUs, let me try to make it more personal for you. In the midst of this crisis, the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, in the midst of this crisis, it is an opportunity for you to reimagine things, to be completely innovative in designing and implementing the changes in your life you want to see manifest. You can do it and you don't have to plug and play what other people have done. You don't have to open a boutique and have the same kind of social media posts that so-and-so has. You don't have to start your consulting firm and have the same processes in place that so-and-so has. This is an opportunity for you to dig in, to figure out what your own unique, unique gifts and talents are, and create and forge something that works just the way you need for it to work. Like returning to center, returning to... What was it like when you were a child and you were at play? What kinds of things were you imagining? Now is the perfect time for that. Let me tell you, I really think that we need to implement more daydream time in our daily schedules. Because one of the issues is we don't necessarily give ourselves time, especially though I'm speaking specifically for black women right now. All right. But I think all of us can see pieces of this as true for ourselves. I think for black women in particular, because all of our efforts tend to be externally driven. Like I got to do for this person. I got to do for that person. I got to do this for my job. I got to take the kids here. I got to homeschool this one. I got to cook. I got to clean. I got to have the laundry. I got to do like I'm negotiating all this stuff. I never really have time to sit down and imagine 
like with no blueprint, no list, nothing, just you and an empty room and some maybe some sunshine. Right? Just imagine what do you want your life to be? And then imagine strategies for getting there. I don't know that we leave ourselves enough time in a day to do that. I don't know that we leave. I, I'm going through this again to go back to the hair. Um, I, I, I have not left myself enough time to play in makeup. I realize that now. I have not left myself enough time to just sit and think about what beauty is to Tiffany. I've not really... It's forcing me, I'm telling you, it's forcing me to sit out and really think about why I needed somebody to tell me, oh, you have, why, why am I going to miss that? Oh, I love your hair. Why am I going to miss that? And why ain't nobody going to say it to me with a TWA? Like, I, I, I want time to sit and think about these things. So I think that's all I really wanted to say today. I know it was all over the place, but I hope you got from it, which you <laughs> What you needed to get from it. Um, again, if you want to follow me on this this big chop journey, then make sure you're following the blog at www.tellemtiptoldyou.com. If you're interested in that um, family civic time video series, make sure you're on one of my email lists. You can um, sign up either at the Tell Em Tip Told You website or Pogue Educational Consulting or on one of my social media feeds, Tiffany D. PhD. I got a lot of social media. Let me just Tiffany D PhD on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I'm Tiffany D Pogue on LinkedIn and on Facebook. You can follow either the tell them tip told you page or the Pogue educational consulting page. I'll link all that stuff in the show notes so you can find me. I'm also starting a YouTube channel under both the tell them tip told you thing and the Pogue educational consulting work. So you can find some of these videos there too. Please send me an email if there's anything you want to discuss. And again, I hope um, you got from this what I intended for you to get for it, which is just some joy and some love and some good ideas. I hope you have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day. Tell them to told you. Bye.